Well, good morning. Grab your Bible, if you would, and turn to Colossians. Find uh, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Colossians will be in chapter 1 and chapter 2 here in a few moments. I've been thinking a lot lately about relationships. Um, You know, a year ago, year and a half ago, something like that, we set out at at Hillcrest to uh, love God, love others, love by going. Many of you heard that um, many times, and you'll continue to hear that uh, many times. It's scriptural, obviously. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor um, as yourself. In other words, he says, love God, love others. And he tells us in Matthew chapter 28, of course, to love by going. The question is, how do we do that, right? Um, one of the things I'm convinced about, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, maybe after this next 20 or 25 minutes, but 30, 35 minutes. Um, one of the things I'm convinced about is relationships don't happen because we're not intentional about relationships. Does that make sense? Right? So if we say love God, if you're not intentional about that relationship, it's not just going to happen to you. One of the things we try to do at Hillcrest is we provide opportunities, small groups, Bible studies, etc., so that you can get into places like this where we can worship and show our love for God. It's not just about the corporate setting. That's important. It's also about your intentionality of loving God. When we say love others, are you intentional about those things? I'm not talking about your spouse or those people that you really are concerned about, you know, you live with or, or the people that you raise or grandkids or whatever. I'm, I'm talking about um, people that are outside, outside your little bubble. I'm convinced that when we ask people uh, how they're doing, that a good portion of that, those times we don't really care. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? You know what I'm saying? How's the weather? Kind of question. Right? But if we're talking about loving people, if we're talking about loving people the way God asks us to love people, we should really care how these people are. And sometimes I'm so busy about my life, I'm so busy about doing the next thing on my agenda, right, that I just do it because that's the way I've been taught to do it, right? To to be, I guess, hospitable in a certain way, to to act like I care. And it's not that I have any issues with that other person, it's just, uh, should I really ask them how they're doing? Because the last time I asked them how they're doing, they went on about 30 minutes about all the stuff that's going on in their life. Does that resonate with anybody? Right? Um, and for those of you who don't deal with that struggle, then God bless you. But that's really what I... Um, and I think our society has convinced us that success equals busyness, right? That, that we make this idol of success, or we make this idol of busyness, and if we're not busy, then something in the back of our head, someone, if you know what I'm talking about, in the back of our head convinces us that we're not successful or we're not productive, or all those kind of things. 
In other words, we have to go, 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 and sometimes we miss some of the things that God wants to do for us because we're too busy. So we have to look back in hindsight and see that was God. So the point I'm trying to make as we think about relationships, especially loving people, is that we really care, that we're really compassionate, that we really want to know how they're doing. Several months ago now, I um, mentioned that one of the things in my prayer life that I've been convicted of the last few years has been to pray not these vague prayers, you know, these buckshot prayers that we just pray before a meal or we just ask God to bless everybody and take care of all the sickness and all that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about, right? Just the kind of surface level prayer, if that makes any sense. And some of you have let me into your life a little bit, and I'm praying specifically about things that that you've asked me to be specific about praying about. Um, Some of you gave me cards, if you'll remember, index cards several months ago, and they had names of people on those index cards, and I've been praying about those index cards and joining you in that prayer. um, The more details I have, the more I know uh, what to pray about, what to pray for. That's... That's the kind of intentionality I'm talking about, right? So I wonder if you're intentional about those loving others, or if you're just so busy about going about your life. I think everything happens by way of relationship. I think it's important that we have relationship, yes, first and foremost with God, but I think think we're intended to be in community. I I think we're intended to be in relationship. Maybe 45, 50 people, but for sure one or two or three. Um, Think about Jesus. You know, he walked the earth for 30 some odd years and he had 12 ordinary individuals. And within that 12, he had Peter, James, and John who got to see things that nobody else got to see. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians this idea of of relationship, of, of, of God interacting our life with one another in small little ways that make big impacts. Hopefully you understand what I'm talking about. So let me ask you, are you you intentional about your relationship? Are you intentional about your relationship with God? Not just on Sundays, or not just at a Bible study, but 24-7, 365, your your life. I realize there's seasons, right? There's seasons where we're on the mountaintop. I I understand that, where things come easy, right? Where Where you feel like you're hey man, if there's a sweet spot, we're not hitting the end of the bat, we're not hitting the, the handle of the bat, right? We're in the sweet spot when it comes to spirituality. In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm locked in step with God everywhere I go. There's been times like that in my life. There's probably been times like that in your life. That's the mountaintop experience. There's also these seasons, though, where it seems like you're really thirsty, right? Where you're in that valley where it seems like you just can't you can't hear a sermon when it's preached. You'd op- you open up the Word and it seems like it's just words on a page and you can't, you can't connect with anything being said. Does that make sense to anybody? Right? So what do you do during those times? I think if we're not intentional, then, then we're always going to live in that time of struggle. Oftentimes we think of the enemy, Satan, attacking us just head on. 
over and over and over again. And I'm convinced, the more I, the more I think about my own spiritual journey, I'm convinced that's not always what Satan does. Satan just throws distraction after distraction after distraction. He puts up these roadblocks in our life. And he, if he can get us away from everybody else, right, to divide and conquer, if we're on our own, if we're forgetting about relationships, relationships with God, relationships with one another, then he's got us exactly where he wants us to be. So are you intentional? Let's pick up reading in Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to read from the NIV, beginning in verse 21. Here's what it says. Once you were alienated from God, remember we're talking to the church. Paul is talking to the church. He's been talking to the church in Romans, and now he's going to talk to the church in Colossians. He says, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now, remember that little word, but, right? Word of contrast. But now, something has happened that changed that. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present your, you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith. Little word if. If you continue in your faith. Established and firm. And don't move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, there's that word again, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend. I strenuously contend, Paul says, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for those all who have met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full of riches of complete understanding in order that they might know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments for though I'm absent from you in the body, I'm present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, God, that you love us in, in ways that which you do. Uh, thank you, Father, that you desire relationship with us, uh, a relationship that is unmatched, a relationship that not only includes creation, uh, but a relationship that includes restoration, redemption, reconciliation, a relationship that requires a cross, a crucifixion, and not just a crucifixion, but also a resurrection. Thank you that you continue to reach out to us despite who we are. Uh, it's amazing when we think about the love that you have for us. It's also intriguing and interesting and 
um, daunting in some ways that you ask us to love as you love, knowing who we are, imperfect uh, people, broken vessels, and yet you call us to love uh, one another and not just love one another, but to call each other into mature faith. I pray, God, that you would hold our feet to the fire, help us to understand what relationships are all about. Give you this time, God. I pray that you would eliminate distractions. Help us to consider your word this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The series we've been in the last few weeks has been uh, about growth. It's about discipleship. And one of the things we've talked about is this idea of walking the aisle, saying a few things, getting into the baptistry, and going about our business. It's called consumerism, right? We live in the West. It seems like we, we have Walmarts or we have Targets. We have these big box stores. If we want it, we just go get it. And there's no effort. There's no, there's no intentionality in what we do. And when it comes to our spiritual journey, sometimes I think we fall into this default mode of just living like sponges and expecting things to just happen to us. And that's never the way that God intended for it to be. When you think about Jesus in the Gospels, where Jesus is walking along and he tells Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, he says, leave everything you have and follow me. And the Scripture says that Levi, the tax collector who works for the Romans, who's living pretty wealthy, right, gets up from his table and he somehow influenced by Jesus, and he follows him throughout the rest of his life. Or Peter and James and John and the fishermen who leave their nets at their father's feet, and they leave everything for Jesus. Follow me means something for Jesus. It means some kind of intentionality. Remember the excuses that people would give to Jesus, right? First, let me go and bury my father. First, let me go and... first. And Jesus says, no, that's not good enough excuse. Follow me, right? We talked about follow last week for those of you who weren't here. But this idea of intentionality is important for our spiritual journey with God through Jesus Christ. Paul reminds the church here in Colossae, as we just read, that there's some kind of responsibility when you come to Christ. It's not just about receiving some free gift called salvation to escape hell. It's not just fire insurance. Does that make sense to anybody, right? It's about following. It's about discipling. It's about growing up from when you're a babe in Christ to being mature in Christ. Going from a little baby, right, to an adolescent, to a full-fledged, mature believer in Christ, right? That's what the spiritual journey is intended to be. And yet so often, so often, we, we come to know Christ. We're babes in Christ. And that's the way we remain. What a shame. The writer of Hebrews um, says, you know, there comes a point in time where we need to get off the milk. We need to get on to more important things. We need to get on to meat. And what he's talking about is you have to be mature to get off the milk, right? You have to move on to the, the meat only when you're mature. There's many people in the church, church at large, that are still living on the milk, even though they've been a follower of Jesus Christ for years. Let me ask you again to take a spiritual inventory, just a, a, a close spiritual inventory in your head for the last six months, for the last year, 
for the last three years, for the last five years, and just think for a moment. How have you grown in your spiritual journey? How have you grown from point A to point B? In other words, if you, this is not going to make any sense to you if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. But if you call yourself a disciple, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility to become more like Christ every day of your life, right? No matter what season you're in, whether you're in a mountaintop experience or whether you're in the valley, you have a responsibility to seek after God, right? To to search for whatever God wants you to be. Sometimes you're going to go really fast. Sometimes you're going to go really slow. But the idea is progress, right? So, The spiritual inventory for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ for the last six months, for the last year, for the last three to five years, how have you grown? How has God challenged you to change? What sin have you been convicted of that you're trying to eliminate from your life? Something to think about, right? And it's not about being good. It's not about being better. You know what I'm talking about. This morning in our Bible study, we talked about associating ourselves with Jesus Christ. There comes a point in time where you realize, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, that you can't, and yet you know the one who can and has, right? If you associate yourself with Jesus Christ, if His righteousness becomes your righteousness, then your priorities change. And your priority should be everything about me, everything within me, everything that I want to be about, that I am about, needs to associate with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God, and the, we just sang about it just a few moments ago. Right? He came and He lived among us. Not just to give us an example. It wasn't just, that was part of it. But it was much more than that. Do you you understand relationship as God intends relationship to be? He loves you so much, knowing full well who you are and what you will do, and yet He still chose to create. Paul tells the church in Philippi, we should have the mind of Christ. What's the mind of Christ, Paul? Well, the mind of Christ is He became a servant. And not just any kind of servant, but a servant, a servant, if you know what I mean, right? Capital S, a servant. This is what a bond servant does. This is what a real servant does. This is one who sacrifices not his needs, or not, not your needs, but his needs over everything else, right? It, it was about total sacrifice. It was about giving up divinity and coming and living among us, humanity, So much so that He went to a cross and He offers us an invitation to relationship with God. The only hope that we have. That's the kind of mind that we should have that Paul defines in Philippians chapter 2. Are are you getting there? Or do we just kind of... How many of you floated the river before? Anybody floated the river, right? Right? What happens if you just kind of get in the river and uh, you just float, right? You just go down the river and you just kind of, every once in a while you've got to get out of your inner tube or whatever you're on and you've got to kind of redirect or whatever. But if you're not intentional, if you're not intentional about those things, um, 
or about redirecting your stuff on the path, right? What happens? You you get caught up in the weeds. You get caught up in trees. You get you gotta you gotta refocus every once in a while. You gotta recalibrate every once in a while, right? So my question to you: the last six months, the last year, the last three to five years is: Have you recalibrated? Are you on the right track? Are you are you becoming more like Christ, or are you or are you not? That's what Paul is talking about. Notice what he says here in Colossians chapter 1. This is great, great news. This is the gospel, right? This is what we're supposed to not only believe, but we're supposed to share this with those around us. Once we were alienated, he says, once we were separated from God, we were enemies in our own minds because of our own evil behavior. But this word reconciliation, this word restoration, this word complete healing, you were reconciled by Christ's physical body, you just mentioned that in our communion meditation, Kyle. You were reconciled by Christ's physical body through death. Why? So that you could be holy in His sight. So that God the Father can look upon you and see, not your sin, but see the perfection, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Right? You were reconciled to God. That is the Gospel. The issue is that He wants to present you as holy and blameless. Notice this little conditional phrase, though, in verse 23. He says, if, if you continue in the faith. Interesting, right? It's not just a one-time thing. This reconciliation, this restoration happens over and over and over again. In other words, when we come to Christ, we don't leave that sin behind. At least not yet. right? We're still sinners, but we're saved by grace, right? We don't, that, that flesh is still part of a reality. And he says, if you continue in your faith, right? There's, there's this struggle, there's this tension that we've talked about in recent weeks, right? If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and you don't move from the hope held out in the gospel. I think it's amazing, as I prayed just a few moments ago, that Christ knows that we're continuing to struggle, we're going to continue to fall flat on our face, we're going to continue to sin, and yet He still wants relationships so much so that He died a most gruesome, brutal death on the cross. Isn't that amazing? And now we get Paul's commission. He says, I rejoice that I am suffering for you. I fill up my flesh, which is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of His body, which is the church. Think about these words for a second. Who is Paul? Paul is Saul before he's Paul. You understand what I'm saying? Right? He's one that wants to kill Christians. He, he's one that is so focused on, he's so passionate about destroying these people who follow Jesus of Nazareth. And then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life is completely changed. Now here's the commission that Jesus speaks to Paul. Right? He says, you're going to be the apostle, you're going to be the disciple that goes and shares the good news, this gospel, with all of the Gentiles. Right? I've called Peter, I've called James, I've called John, I've called these other apostles, and they're all going to work among the Jews. But you, Paul, right? you're a Roman citizen. And what's interesting about Paul is he is a Pharisee, he's a Jew, he studied under Gamaliel, if you read the book of Acts. But he's also a Roman citizen. In other words, he has dual citizenship 
Not a coincidence. And God uses Paul, who was Saul until he's changed, just like that, right? And his priorities, his passions, everything changes about Paul, right? And we have two-thirds of the New Testament because God has done a work within Paul. Now think about that for a second. When you read these words here in Colossae, he says, I'm suffering for this reason, right? I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. And then he uses this word mystery. What, what's the word mystery about? In fact, Paul uses the word mystery 26 times in his epistles, in his letters. 26 times the word mystery comes up. What is Paul talking about? The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. I think when Paul uses the word mystery, you know, he, he thinks he's a good Jew, right? He's a good Pharisee. He follows the 613 laws. But this mystery is not just about morality. It's not just about following all the rules. It's about a relationship with God, right? So, so Paul has associated himself with Christ, and he wants everybody from that point forward, from the time he becomes Paul, he wants the Gentiles, he wants everybody from that point forward to experience what he's experienced, that is relationship with God, and to share that relationship with their fellow man. Verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, there's that word again, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 26 times Paul uses this word. Why does it hold such weight for for Paul? If you have your Bible, let me encourage you to turn back to the book of Daniel. If you can find the, the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, right after Ezekiel is the book of Daniel. Turn to chapter 2 of Daniel. Some of you know uh, the story of Nebuchadnezzar, a Babylonian king. And Nebuchadnezzar is having these dreams that no one can interpret for him. And he is so frustrated because no one can interpret these dreams that he's about to kill. This is the time of the dispersion. This is a time where the Jews have been scattered because of their sin. And they find themselves in Babylon under this Babylonian king called Nebuchadnezzar. And God gives the ability to Daniel to interpret dreams. Look at verse 24 if you're there. Chapter 2, verse 24 of Daniel. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Don't execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked, you may think he's thinking about a magician now, right? A seer, right? So the king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Now listen to what Daniel replies. Daniel says, No wise man, enchanter, magician, diviner can explain to you the king of the mystery has, uh, he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven. Oh, here you go, right? Daniel's fixing to tell you who this God is. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. And then he goes on to interpret the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. It's a big deal. Read it sometime this afternoon. We don't have time to read it this morning, but read it sometime this afternoon. He interprets this entire dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Now drop down to verse 47. 
The king said to Daniel, by the way, I should go back to 46, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, ironically, falls prostrate in front of Daniel because he recognizes that Daniel has told him the truth, right? That the only way that Daniel would know his dreams is because he has a relationship with God. The, king, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future, it says. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. So Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and an incense be presented to him. And notice what verse 47 says. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Now why is that important? Because that's exactly what Paul has in mind when he says 26 times he uses the word mystery throughout his letters. To include several times here in this text in Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2. What's this great mystery that God wants you to know? That He loves you so much that He sent Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to change everything about you. To allow Saul to become Paul. To allow you to become somebody else. To allow the dead person to live once again. That is the Gospel church. right? Reconciliation. Restoration. Redemption. Not because of who you are, but because of who God is. That's a message that we'll preach, man. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. That's Paul's commission. Make the Word fully known, he says in chapter 1. He says there's a hidden for a time, but it's now been revealed in this Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4, where it talks about there was a time and a place where the prophets spoke. And the prophets spoke about God. And the prophets spoke about God. And the prophets spoke about God. And eventually the people just stopped listening. But now there's a time where we don't have to listen to the prophets anymore. You know why? Because we have the one true God. God in the flesh. Emmanuel, right? God with us. Jesus Christ, right here, right now. That's what it says in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. This is the mystery Paul talks about. Christ in you. So what? So in verse 28, he says, He's the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Not as babes in Christ. You don't just walk down the aisle, say a few words, get in the baptistry, and go about your life. Remember the Great Commission? Where Jesus tells us to go and proclaim to all peoples, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. What does He say? Right? Go baptize, go teach, go disciple them. Everything I've told you. Everything I've shown you. Right? It's not about remaining here. It's about growing up. It's about getting off the milk and eating the meat. You follow? This is the mystery of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, this is what we want to be about. We want to be about discipleship. And he's so passionate about it. In verse 29, he says, to this end, I contend. No, he doesn't say I contend. He says, I strenuously, I give everything that I have. I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ has so powerfully works in me. It's that important to Paul. It should be that important to us. 
I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. They may have the full riches and complete understanding so that they may know the mystery of God, that they may know that they may have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because he says wisdom comes from God through Jesus Christ. Knowledge comes from God. Jesus Christ. If you want to know who God is, you look to Jesus. And Lord willing, if people look to want to know who God is, Lord willing, they can look to us and recognize that God lives within us, that Jesus lives within us. My question to you this morning, church, is are you just going through the motions? Are you a consumer? Have you walked the aisle? Have you said a few words? Have you got in the baptistry? Are you continuing down that same path you've always been on? Or are you much like Paul that can talk about reconciliation, redemption, restoration, a friend of God, right? Somebody who can hear from God. Somebody who, who, who spends time. You know, relationships take time. Relationships take effort, Right? You can't convince me that you have a relationship with God if you never spend time with God. I'm not just talking about a safe environment right here. This is important. But are you individually, are you intentional about your relationship with God? God tells us to love one another. Are you intentional about loving someone that you probably don't even like? You remember the story of the Good Samaritan, right? crazy part about that story is a Samaritan could, the Samaritan could never be good to a Jew. And that's exactly why Jesus tells the story. The good Samaritan is good because he takes time out of his day, takes time out of his agenda, and he loves the way God wants us to love. Right? It's not just about loving people like you, dress like you, talk like you, have all the Sunday school answers. It's about people outside the walls. It's about people that are searching for something and they don't know what they're searching for, right? Let me tell you what they're searching for. Redemption. Restoration. Reconciliation. Hope. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Some of you experience those things. All because of Jesus Christ. And guess what? The people that you come across outside these walls, the people that you interact with because God has given you this nexus, this crossroads of crossing paths with these people, that's not coincidence. God wants you to do something in those people's life. God wants to do something in those people's lives, and He chooses to use us. Think about that, right? God loves you so much, and it's not just you. He loves the world so much that he allows us just a small part in his huge plan. I don't know about you, but one day I want to stand before God and I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's not just about consumerism. It's not just about walking down the aisle and receiving salvation. It's about growing up. It's about discipleship. It's about really, really following. It's about no excuses. Let's pray. Father, for your word, uh, for the challenge before us, uh, for a world where it seems that comfort is uh, pretty important, 
My prayer is that you would continue to be patient with us, that, um, but not just patient so that we'll remain comfortable, um, that, you will, that you will shake our world, that you will do what you need to do, um, that you will do what you need to do, even if it's causing a big fish, <laughs> even if it's causing a, a bush, um, even if it's all these things that we read about and we believe, um, all because of your goodness. I pray, God, that you would continue to be gracious, you would continue to be compassionate, but also ask that you would remind us of our responsibility as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ. Help us never to rest and uh, be so selfish that we're not compassionate about the lost around us. We pray, God, that you would uh, make us not just receivers, but help us to uh, go and love the way you love. In Christ's name I pray.